Angelus Domini, nuncia vit Grazia plena Dominus Tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Hello and welcome to the Liturgical Looking Glass, a program that looks at the Church's liturgy for the week ahead with me, Tim Hutchinson. And with me, Nick Swarbrick. And today on the Liturgical Looking Glass, we'll also be looking back at yesterday's Solemnity of St. Peter and St. Paul, as well as looking forward to St. Thomas. All will become clear soon. And uh, we'll be thinking about the music for Sunday 13 of Ordinary Time, of course, and looking at the next feature of the office, which today will be the hymns. Tim, start us off with some prayer, please. I shall. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grant, O Lord, that we may always revere and love your holy name, for you never deprive of your guidance those you set firm on the foundation of your love. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, um, as I usually like to do, I say a word or two about this collect um, Today we've got a, a, well this week, we've got a week that is just jam-packed full of feasts or memorials. Um, on uh, Monday here in East Anglia, we had the dedication of the cathedral. On Tuesday, we had St. Cyril of Alexandria. On Wednesday, St. Irenaeus. On Thursday, yesterday that was, St. Peter and St. Paul. And today is the feast of the martyrs of the Sea of Rome, the first martyrs. And tomorrow is... Oliver Plunkett. So yes. um, I decided to use the Sunday collect because usually one hears it um, during the week um, in the daily mass. But uh, we've got all these other little ones cramming, cramming in for space. And also, it's just a very lovely um, collect. I, I really uh, love this uh, uh, interplay between the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the foundation of love. Yes. So there are a few words there. Otherwise, how are you doing, Nick? Well, I'm fine. I almost feel like saying I've fallen in love. I went to a, an amazing, <laughs> um, an amazing experience last night um, uh, of the Jesualdo Six and the Vile Consort fretwork representing uh, the music of Bird as a kind of foundation for ca the Catholic recusants under Elizabeth. It was sort of drama. It was sort of symbolic representation, very clearly a symbolic representation of a mass rather than an enactment of a mass. Yeah. But you know, people sat around in Tudor costumes singing from original nota notation music, wow. singing some absolutely astonishing music. And the point where they were stood up and they sang Bird's five-part five-part mass credo, which has got et unam sanctam catholicam et apostolicam ecclesiam absolutely underlined in red in his music was one of those moments mm. where I've got goose pimples even as I'm saying it. So yeah, I've had a, a lovely week. And yesterday was also the 60th anniversary of my first Holy Communion. So oh. it was a very, very amazing thing to, um, to ha have uh, coincide with it, really. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, wow. So 
Remind me again, where where was this performance that you saw? This was in the Abbey buildings at Abingdon, um, which are not the monastic buildings, uh, but, well, they are the monastic buildings. It's a monastic grange barn and a beautiful place, but also not a bad place to be having a, a, a sort of exploration of what it must have been like to have celebrated Mass in hiding. Wow. And um, so that was that was a, a brilliant thing to have done. And it was it was gobsmacking from start to finish. Did you know any of the performers? No, though they were they milled around. You could chat to them. I chatted to them afterwards and um, uh, got to see one of the viol players with her with her uh, treble viol close up and got to chat to one of the countertenors. Yeah, it was it was a great experience. Hmm, that's interesting. I also had uh, something of a a. Uh... Well, I'm not sure which adjectives to use right now, but it was it was a very remarkable performance that I saw that um, one of our volunteers, uh, Lynette, put me onto at the, at the last minute. It was in Horningsea, um, a lady who plays a medieval harp and sings um, a plain chant from um, old manuscripts. Uh, she, wow. Her name is Leah Strutted. I think that was okay. it. yeah and um and she was telling the story of uh a woman who had who went on many pilgrimages to um, marjorie kemp that's the one <laughs> thank you <laughs> you're in east anglia it has to be marjorie yes. kemp. <laughs> anyways so that was quite interesting and, and um a person that i might i might get to come on the radio at some point yes um, but we specifically said we should we, we need to be careful we don't talk too much today because we, we have a lot of really great music that we want to so um, the next section therefore is about the office and where we did the introductions the invitatory and the introduction um oh god come to our aid last week we also touched a little bit on the uh, on the hymns because it was um uh, saint john the baptist but now we're going to think again about hymns and do we have any favourite hymns? I see you've put one in in the in the notes here, Tim. Do you want to talk talk mm. us through it? Well, when you asked me about favourite hymns from the office, um, the ones that came to mind immediately were actually the Benedictine ones, but I don't know them well enough to to be able to sing them. Though these ones who've got they've got these kind of like uh, beautiful melismas that sort of trail off. Ah, uh, yeah, but. Um, the ones that I remember from from my time in in Mount St Bernard Abbey um, and could sing quite easily are the hymns from the Night Office because the text would remain the same. Not the Night Office, the from Compline. Compline, um, yeah. And um, so I've got I've got an example of that, um, and I'll I'll sing uh, just the first two verses, leaving out the the um, glory be. Yep. So I'm going to sing. Uh, one of my favorite melodies and this was one that we used on the memoria days and i think we used it for certain octaves as well so here it goes the shadows lengthen into night maker of all we pray to you show to us still your tender care and guard us with your princely power far from us drive all evil dreams and wicked thoughts that prowl at night Tread under foot, foot on evil foe, and keep our bodies free from stain. Yeah, lovely one, Te Lucis ante Terminum. It's it's a it's a great a great hymn, that isn't it? Ah. Were you telling me the 
the uh, the melody there or the the the, mono, you, the melody there is is the is the simple tone for the for, for Compline. Okay. I can I can hear that there are slight differences. Perhaps that's due to your congregation or whatever than the one that that I'm used to singing, which is simpler. But yes, it's a beautiful piece, isn't it? Um, yes. <laughs> it's also a very very indicative piece, I think, of a whole load of. Um, thoughts about what night is. Night is kind of giving up in some ways, and there's protective prayers around, you know, I'm not going to be able to fight during this bit. You're going to have to do yes. this bit, and passing it over to God is is an interesting, and I suspect very, very old model of what night was for for the, the first monastics. So I'll try and sing um, the solemnity melody that we would, the melody for, for feast days and for Sundays. Sure. Um, and it was always a bit of a tricky one to start. Um, and it was, it was quite funny when you when you had somebody who's if your main canto was um, absent for whatever reason, and then the second canto had to do it. And um, there was a little moment of, of is he going to ma manage this? So let's see how I do. As shadows lengthen into night, maker of all, we pray to you. Show to us still your tender care. And guard us with your princely power. Far from us drive all evil dreams and wicked thoughts that prowl at night. Tread underfoot our evil foe and keep our bodies free from stain. Yes, much more complicated, isn't it? Because it, it sounds like it's going to go one way in that first line. And then moves into. I'm guessing. Are we in tone two there? I think we're in tone four. Four. Yeah. Okay. Fair I'm enough. Not sure. Yeah. No, it's lovely. Lovely. Um, the one that I wanted to mention, I will mention it very briefly. Is yeah. is actually from the other end of the day. It's from Lords. Um, mm. The mon Monday prayer, uh, Monday morning prayer, the Feria Secunda ad Laudes, has a wonderful poem, which is probably by St. Ambrose, but I think it's one of those ones that, that is a bit um, contested sometimes. It's the Splendor Paterne Gloriae, you know, um, uh, so the oh, splendor of the glory of the Father. Um, it's a hymn to the Trinity, and the la the one of the verses has this wonderful thing in it where it says, and let Christ be our food, and let faith let faith be our drink. With joy, let us dr let us drink of the sobriam ebrietatem, the mm. sober drunkenness mm. of the spirit. And that line ebrietatem, but coupled with sobriam, really lets you see. You know, there's an awful lot going on, even in a very very simple you know, two two lines of a of, of a hymn. I'm not going to attempt to sing it, even though I do have it in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! What a disappointment! You missed a, you missed an opportunity to use one of my favourite words um, from the office, and that's Ambrosian. Uh, yes. Well, we will come to the Ambrosian hymn in the office when we, when we come to I suppose somewhere near the end, and we think about the Te Deum. It is the hymn of hymns in some ways in in, in the office. But I I thought we probably don't have time for it today because it's going to need a whole program to itself. Practically, I think. Yeah. But what about the poems that are suggested in uh, in the uh, in the Roman breviary? We've got that appendix of poems, and it says they are suggested especially for the office of readings. 
Yes, yeah, so um, see, I don't know very much about this. I don't think we did it um, when I was in in the monastery. Um, these poems. I don't know anywhere that use, has used them uh, communally. I think the idea was possibly just another point of meditation for you when you were saying your office on okay. your own. Mm. I don't know. And I don't know. I'd love to hear from anybody that, that has seen where, you know, a speaker stands up and, and reads, a, reads a poem. And in fact, whether people uh, have moved away from those ones that are approved by the, uh, uh, approved by the local bishops conference. Mm. I have a feeling that a, a, an abbey like Glenstor would know something about this. They, they like to explore that kind of thing. Actually, that was my second choice. Oh, initially, my first choice um, was to sing one of Glenstor's uh, night uh, uh, Compline um, hymns, but I think I think we should we should move on. We uh, do need to move on. <laughs> shall we then have a, a quick think about one of these these poems? Shall we listen to um, Helen Wilcox reading the reading Love by George Herbert? Yes, it's a sim- simple piece, beautifully done. She is uh, one of the editors of George Herbert's work, and this was actually just um, recorded. At as far as I can see, an interview to celebrate the publication of the hundred poems of George Herbert. Interesting. All right, I'm going to drop it in right before the poem. Here we go. Sure. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love. I seem to be having trouble with the sound for some reason. Just bear with me in one moment. Yet my soul drew back, guilty. So I'm going to um, work some of my... Oh, there we go. And then it comes where you don't want it to come. Of course it does. <laughs> yeah, here we go. All right. Welcome. Yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed no, love, something's wrong. observing something's me grow wrong. slack. From... Um... And eventually, in the very last line, he gives in. It's called Love. It's the third poem of his, but called Love. Love, bad but I think my favourite, above all... Is I'm afraid I think we're going to have to uh, leave that for some reason. The, the file doesn't seem to be working the way it should work. I'm, I'm very sorry. Shall we try the music that goes with it? Shall we yes, try the Vaughan yeah. Williams and let's see whether, you, whether that's... Uh, let's uh, try the Vaughan Williams. All right, so here we go.
Okay, that was um, Love Bad Me Welcome from Vaughan Williams' Five Mystical Songs. It was here sung by John Shirley Quirk. Um, the whole piece also includes the choir of King's College, Cambridge. It's worth listening to, but it's also worth taking your time over. And time is against us, I think, today. Mm. Let's move on to the music for the Mass. Let's do indeed. So we're um, gonna, Yes? Go on, go, go for it. No, no, I was just going to say we, we're now looking at the, the Mass for the week coming. Um, and we're going to start with the introit. Okay, here is the intro. Clap your hands, all you people. Cry to God with shouts of joy. Clap your hands, cry to God with shouts of joy. And so, 
why do we why do we sing about shouts of joy and clapping when we don't clap <laughs> well, I can tell you, if you go to um, some of the masses in South Africa that I've been to, you'll you'll hear a lot of clapping. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that that's that's one of those things that we, we forget at our peril, that we yes. are not just the, um, the 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 dry, the dry toast of northern Europe. <laughs> <laughs> I guess this is the uh, same reason why we don't kiss at the at the kiss of peace. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, yes, I did once go to a very, very um, high and dry mass uh, um, where basically the the sacred ministers looked like they were pushing each other away rather than giving each other a hug, which is <laughs> quite interesting. There's a whole liturgical thing about what you what you do there, and of course what the what the people were doing at the sign of peace in the Middle Ages. But we can come back to that at another time. I've just been reading um, Christian Lovenstetter, a book by Sigrid Unset, um, yeah. set in 14th century Norway, and there's a beautiful, very short passage about. Um, Two men who who uh, have had like a history of of uh, the the one the uh, the father had betrothed his daughter to this man and then she had called off the betrothal and then they stuck next to each other in a mass and have to um, exchange the kiss of peace yes. and how it it's uh, becomes the moment of of rekindling a friendship between the two of them because he notices that. It wasn't done just uh, methodically, but there was some sincerity in it, and it was an actual kiss um, on on the cheek, um, yep. with the with the blessing like sort of spoken quietly um, in that sort of uh, intimate moment, which which is lovely. Like I think it it shows you how these these rituals really do facilitate um, like true Christian affection if they're done properly. Or they can. I mean, there's the story of Thomas Beckett, who is is kind of manoeuvred into saying mass in front of Henry II, um, who has become his absolute uh, per persecutor, and he gets round the uh, the fact that they don't have uh, that he won't give a sign of peace by the fact that he celebrates requiem. At which point, in the Middle Ages, we didn't have the the sign of peace, so they get round not having a sign of peace, and you're thinking this is kind of an abuse of the whole thing, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> they just—they really hate each other, but they're not going to make up, even though it's at mass. Yeah, Let's is... listen to Christopher Ty um, uh, urging us to clap to clap our hands here. This is Christopher Ty again, uh, a great Tudor uh, uh, composer. This is a, his introit omnes gentes plaudite manibus. No clapping, however. Okay, and um, again, are we going to? hopefully not ha run into the same problems that we had last time here it is
So that was the choir of Magdalen College, Oxford, under the direction of Bill Ives, with the last part of the Omnes Gentes Plaudite Manibus by Christopher Tai. A wonderful, exultant piece of music. Um, I love the way that you know, if you gave this piece to, to most sort of uh, modern composers, they do everything they can to put some claps in there. <laughs> <laughs> they would, wouldn't they? That's true. That is very true. But let's does. move on. Yeah, let's do so. The, the Alleluia, the second reading for Sunday, is from the sixth chapter of St. Paul's Letter to the Romans. Christ, as we know, having been raised from the dead, will never die again. Death has no more power over him any anymore. And this Alleluia is the one that accompanies this passage when read in Eastertide. But I notice uh, in the notes in the Graduale Triplex, it says for, some, for cycle, we, cycle one, cycle A rather, this is one of the Alleluias you can have. So here is the Alleluia Christus Resurgens. We actually heard it before when we thought about the Easter sequence, but here it is again and sung by the Vienna Hofburg Capella.
I wish I knew how they managed that breathing. I was about to say, where do these men breathe? <laughs> <laughs> I, there are tricks to it, aren't there? Uh, if you've got a large enough group, and presumably when you're recording far enough away from the mic, people can take their own breaths, but you yeah. really need to know when you're going to be able to do it. And partly I think that comes from the discipline of singing with the same people over and over again. You know where somebody else is likely to take a breath. But those final phrases where there's the, there's the little break, which says you can take a break here, nobody seems to do it and they carry the whole flow mm. through. It's, it's mm. an amazing piece. It is amazing. And um, the timbre of their voices is so similar that it doesn't sound um, like there's you lose one of them for a breath at any point. It's just that's it, isn't it? Of course, it's about that. It's about that timbre that means that you can't, you know, that you can't hear the break because you can't hear that voice that's slightly more nasal or slightly slightly more throaty. Yeah. yeah, of course, that's it. Lovely choice. I mean, I, the music for today, I've been so excited about because it, it's just so beautiful. Um, but yeah, that was so. Um, these long alleluias just take you into a kind of uh, restfulness, which is is amazing. It's very yes, beautiful. it's interesting that one of the earliest manuscripts actually has all the notes of this. Quite often they give up on these, and I presume that mm. they're thinking the cantor will just carry this through. But here we've got all the notes, and I, I wonder whether this is one of those pieces that people felt it just has to be done like this because it's such a brilliant piece of music. So when you say that um, they wouldn't have the notes, they would just allow the cantor to improvise? I wonder whether there was uh, some element of improvisation there, certainly in the in the earliest days of these long melismas, yeah. if only because I'm sure I've read somewhere a prohibition against cantors getting carried away, okay. um, which suggests to me that those ha 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 are going to go somewhere else if you've got a big, strong voice and you think you've got your crowd behind you. It could be an, an opportunity for, for the sin of pride to emerge in in a, in a singer that's got the uh, the whole of a congregation behind them. I could just see the um, the deacon or the priest just standing there going, yes, 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 yes. Yes. If they had had wristwatches, they could have tapped their wristwatch very pointedly at that, I suppose. Po point to the sundial. <laughs> yes. There, there is a, a story of, of John the Twenty Third being in the middle of a very, very long credo and just saying, sort of clapping his hands and saying, OK, well, let's pray. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, the oremus is the thing that starts the, um, that starts the offertory. And he just stood up and basically, you know, I think being Pope, you can do this kind of thing. Yeah. He just started. And, <laughs> and the whole thing had to collapse around him while he got on. Right. He's, uh, a, he's an interesting fellow. Um. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, we will not, however, I think, need to inter interrupt the next piece of music. This is the communion, Benedict Anima Meo. It's the one set for today. But this is uh, a setting by a 16th, 17th century German composer, Philipp Dulicius. So Benedict Anima Meo Domino in eight, for eight voices. Lovely. Let's hear it.
So that was Philip Dolicius's Benedict Anima Mea Domino uh, for eight voices performed by the Ensemble Vesa Renaissance Bremen. And a, a wonderful piece of music. Nice to hear, um, if you like, the, the German tones coming through mm. in something that otherwise it sounds very Venetian with that brass behind it, I think. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Enjoy that. Um, well, go on. I was just going to say we should move on to looking back. At... <laughs> move on to looking back, absolutely. <laughs> well, because St. Peter and St. Paul was yesterday and this week will be St. Thomas, we can combine some material from the liturgy of uh, St. Peter and St. Paul for the music, the general music for the Feast of the Apostles. We finished last week with Palestrina's Palestrina's glorious motet to S. Petrus, that piece that was the, the uh, played at the final public mass of Benedict the uh, the sixteenth. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build your church, uh, build my church. And here, of all, very very brief is is the chant itself. We can we need to listen to that so we can listen to the next bit. So it's only thirty seconds long, but here is the to S. Petrus. <laughs> Very simple, very well-known, I think, piece of chant. Mm. But to follow it, I want us to hear Durufle's setting from his four motets on Gregorian themes. You can hear him quoting the chant. Uh, it's one of the things that Durufle de does. If you think about his, his great requiem, it is, in effect, a harmonised version of the chant. And uh, in some ways, I think of him as the descendant of those Cantus Firmus co uh, composers of the Middle Ages, and also, therefore, the artistic grandfather of James Macmillan, who does much mm. the same kind of thing, but with much more modern harmonies. So let's listen to Maurice de Rufle's Tu es Petrus, uh, Opus 10, number three, it says here, which is rather nice, from the Quatre Montées du Turtem Grégorienne. a beautiful performance there um and uh if you if you find it on on youtube there's uh the the performance you can see they're incredibly uh, joyful in in the delivery of it it's it's wonderful it's, it's full of energy isn't it full of energy and light mm. um that's an odd metaphor to use perhaps for sound but it is full of that light that says you know it's super hank from edificabo ecclesia meam just a great way of sort of finishing it off in joy and light and grace. I, I think it's great. Yeah. And none, none of them are holding a, a, a shred of paper in front of them, which is always nice to see as well. Well, given that there are presumably other th three other motets in the recording, they, that's quite a lot of learning to do, isn't it? <laughs> yes, indeed. So now we get to my favourite word. Go on then. Ambrosian. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. Here is the hymn by St. Ambrose, Eterni Christi Munera, which is the hymn for the Feast of Apostles. And we'll play a couple of verses of it um, in, in honour of St. Thomas, whose feast date is next week. And then I'm going to ask you uh, an odd question after mm. that, Tim. Okay. That's intriguing. <laughs> Here it is. Okay, so you you left me a note saying this reminded you of something. I'm just wondering, have you has it jogged your memory in any way? Here, yes. no, it has. Um, so it reminded me of of a Christmas carol. Um, and I go on. Can, it's only July. Keep going. <laughs> can does it remind you of a Christmas carol? The second line reminds yeah. me of something, but I can't think what. Of the Father's love begotten. Of course it is. Yeah. Da, 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 yeah. Yes. And in fact, the whole, if you, if you then get that into your ear and you listen to it again, um, the, the, the hymn we've just played, that is, it, it seems to have, I wouldn't be surprised if it was in the composer's ear when he was, when he was, um, composing the, the melody for... Well, the the melody Coordinatus Ex Palentis gets used an awful lot in the Middle Ages, and there has been a suggestion that it's a very old me melody indeed. I sometimes find uh, the assumption, the assertions from um, Victorian hym hymnologists a little bit wishful thinking, but there does seem to be something there, doesn't there? Yes, you're right. Ba, 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 ba. Yes, of course. Mm. Thank you for that. that oh, that's, um, uh, that's great. I'm glad I'm not alone in in, <laughs> in that um, uh, connection that I've just made. Well, of course, it was the hymn singing in uh, St. Ambrose's church that was one of the things that helped convert St. Augustine to uh, a full full engagement with, with, his, with his Catholicism. And that influence of music and liturgy, I think, is one that we cannot deny. Think what it would have been like if the music had been rubbish. Um, <laughs> there, there's a thought for all music coordinators for next Sunday. Yes. Uh, to be in a church and be so moved by the music that you think, oh, there is something in this after all, I think is is you know is a is part of what we need to do. Yeah, no, that's very true. I can remember it once dawning on me um, during uh, the Advent liturgy, um, praying the Divine Office, where uh, it was a particularly beautiful setting of um, I think it was Vespers, and suddenly it just—I know it sounds like a really silly thing to say, but I just thought like. No, it does make a difference when the music is good. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. And actually, good is you know, good is it is one of those subjective things, isn't it? 
some people will enjoy singing music, and I think this is a warning for me as a, as a music coordinator. Sometimes the music that I enjoy doing is not going to be the stuff that is going to genuinely edify the congregation. Yeah. And that's a very tricky moment that you need to pause and say, am I playing this because I think it's fun, or am I playing this because, you know, to come back to that word again, and it's from, if it's from St. Paul, it will edify the hearers which is, of course, not only St. Paul, but it's also St. Benedict, and we'll come back to him next week. Mm, yes, looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah. So let's return to the theme of the holiness of God um, with Palestrina. Palestrina's mass, based on the themes from the hymn of the Feast of the Apostles, this is a beautiful piece of music. Uh, we haven't got time to listen to much more than the first part of the Sanctus, but this is Palestrina's Missa Eterni Christi Munera, and it's the, the, the Sanctus from it. Lovely. That was the Sanctus, or the first part of the Sanctus, from Palestrina's Missa Eterni Christi Munera, sung by the Oxford Camerata, directed by Jem Jeremy Summerley. I don't know if you heard, but in fact, it, it was quoting precisely that line that we were talking about, the pa 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 and, and it, it's almost as if that was the bit that he wanted to show us huh. in that Sanctus. It's a beautiful piece all the way through, yeah. I think. I'll have to listen to that again, and, and now that you've pointed that out. 
But to come back to where I was last night and listening to um, the Jesualdo 6 and fretwork, one of the things that, that really struck me was the difference between the Palestrina, which is big and meant to be a big choir, with, or at least sounds like a big choir in a big church, with the intimacy of Bird and the way that Bird has to be um, something that can be done by a small family choir, I think is, is a... Is a uh, a tribute to the way that musicianship must have looked in the Elizabethan period, but it also says something about how the the music's written. Hmm. Yeah. No. That's that's. I, I'm going to have to go and listen to that again because you're pointing out things now that haven't occurred to me. There's lots for us to listen to, and if we can get all this up on the blog, then I think that there's there's lots for people to hmm. to go back to in full. I sometimes think that what we probably need is a catch-up session where we just play some of the big pieces of music in full and let people make their minds up. Oh, that's a very good idea, yeah. So I think it's time for us to go, though, isn't it? We're getting to coming to the end of the programme. Indeed, um, and we've been very well-behaved today because we we have. um, we've, we've had enough time to play all the music that we've been able to play. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. It was play. a shame about Love, Bad, Me, Welcome, but again, it's easily findable as a, as a piece of prose on the internet. Indeed. If you haven't got your breviary in front of you or whatever, it's worth a read. It's a beautiful poem. So we're going to end with a Salve Regina. Tell us a bit about this one. Okay, this was an interesting one. Uh, interesting one for me to choose. That, that's really self-aggrandizing. I don't mean that. I liked this one because it really does make you think again about the Salve Regina and also that notion of um, the way that the singer does carry the text with them. Andrea Scholl really takes this um, this particular version. It's by Antonio Vivaldi, and therefore it comes as part of that great Baroque um, project, if you like, which looks very seriously at the the uh, Marian devotion. So you've got, if you like, at one end of it, you've got people like um, Monteverdi and that, the great Vespers, of the, the great 1610 Vespers. But at the other end, if you like, you've got Antonio Vivaldi. And here Andrea Scholl is going to give us quite a, quite a good rendition, rendition, if we can listen to at least the first movement, mm-hmm. um, to, to hear what he does with the text. I think it's, it's a lovely piece for us to listen to. Wonderful. Let's do that. Oh. 
did want to carry that on but i think it's it's probably better for us to um call the program to a close and uh what i loved about about that was um uh you know these these youtube versions that you can find of these pieces where you can actually listen to it with the score in front of you um yes which to me is just uh it's such a, a lovely way of um having an opportunity to interpret the music um and I've I've often wondered if people who don't know how to read music would uh, benefit from from just looking at it, you know, because there's a lot that's intuitive about it. Um, about the good people. thing about the good productions of those and uh, the the class the Renaissance Music Project does quite a few of them, where it scrolls across very much in time with the music, mm -hmm. so it's it's almost impossible to get lost. Yeah. Um, but yes, it, it's a good piece. What I liked about it, and I like about that particular setting, is the way that Vivaldi allow, allows us to hear Regina Mater rather than Regina Mater Misericordiae. Mm -hmm. It's a Regina Mater, Regina Mater, Regina Mater, and then Mater Misericordiae after that. He's really, really pushing that whole notion of the mother. And uh, I think it's, a, it's an amazing piece. We can speculate why that might have been uh, at another time, perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, I have my theories about the Venetians and Mary, but that's an entire separate, um, separate conversation, I'm sure. Well, Good Radio is all about cliffhangers, I've been uh, told. Well, there is a cliffhanger, but it won't <laughs> be next week. Next week, I, I, I'm already, uh, as you know, planning that we should have um, at least more than a nod to one of the four uh, principal patron saints of Europe, St. Benedict, whose feast day is coming up. And um, so we'll have some prose about that. We'll also have some some music very soon which which will be will be fun to, fun to arrange and fun to fun to come up with Definitely. that's great all right very much looking forward to that well nick it's been a pleasure as it always is um to present this program with you and um look well likewise tim and you recovered magnificently from whatever happened to love bad me welcome but um thank you so <laughs> much for that. i still have to figure out what happened there um <laughs> but thank you yeah and um thank you to everyone who listened if this is the first time you've listened uh, we do this every week at the same time um and then there's also uh, rebroadcast and it's also available as a podcast and you can find that on any of the podcast providers you just have to search for the liturgical looking glass 
um, and it should pop up um, if you put in Radio Maria as well. That should um, narrow the search sufficiently. So um, thank you very much and uh, see you next week, Nick. Yeah, thanks very much. God bless everybody. Have a good week. Angelus Domini, nun siavit Maria gratia plena Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus.